I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us in the Awak My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice to create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Kamshuka Baraks. She's a mother of four, a wife, a certified wellness coach, mindfulness practitioner, author, and international speaker. Kamshuka is a war child survivor who continues to disrupt old patterns of thinking and encourages her audience to consider the quality of their thoughts. She's the founder of The Conscious Warriors, a wellness platform that focuses on self-love, healing, and a roster of coaching services and products to add to your own wellness toolbox. She's an advocate against human trafficking who spent time in the city of Kolkata, India to rescue women sold into sex slavery. Kamshuka has been recognized as one of Canada's women making history and has been featured on CBC, Voyage LA, Voyage ATL, and much more. She's also been seen on Uganda's national network of NTV as an empowered woman of power. Please welcome to the show, Kamshuka. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. You know, thanks for asking because it's powerful. I I know how powerful your presence is. And uh, I'm just excited for this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long time coming and, you know, I'm glad we're here now. (laughs) Yes, yes. So as an icebreaker question, I love to ask women where they started before they got to where they are presently. Because I Mm -hmm. believe that, you know, as children, we have these vivid imaginations of who we want to be and (laughs) what we want to do when we grow up. And, you know, Mm -hmm. all those big fantasies before society and and culture starts to limit our beliefs and put those limitations on who we can can be. So I would love Mm -hmm. to know, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? And what were you like as a teenager? (laughs) This is some really deep questions. Um, I'll start with what did I want to be as a little girl? Because of the circumstances that I grew up in, um, my first thought of who I wanted to be when I was young, when I was four years old, was I was actually in the middle of war. So, you know, I'm a war child survivor of the Ugandan war. And in those moments, you know, my dad would say, close your eyes, just think of something else, you know, and he, said to me, think of who, you, think of yourself bigger, you know, think of who you want to be. That is mm-hmm. something that my father had said to me 
um, in those times just to distract me from the gunfire and the um, the surrounding sounds. And uh, of course, I'm in the middle of war. So the first thing that came to me was, I want a world that has peace. You know, currently in that moment, my family was separated. So I wanted uh, my family to be together. And I thought, when I get older, I want to be the person that brings peace and love. And I want to find a way to heal the world. I mean, I'm young, so I'm not saying it in all those ways, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of bringing the world together. I didn't like how I felt in that moment. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've always wanted to add to the world. I didn't know how. <laughs> of course, I had no idea what my future would look like, but I knew that whatever I chose, it would have to be something that was like a glue, you know, that held things together. And uh, that was quite a burden as a child, but that was also my first initial thoughts of who I wanted to be. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, okay. So before I even ask you to, you know, unpack uh, and, and tell me more, you know, mm -hmm. as a war child survivor in the Ugandan civil war, you know, it led you yeah. down a path of PTSD and self-harm and depression. Yeah. Like, was that mm -hmm. all when you were a teenager? Yes, absolutely. Because from the time, you know, my, my family was separated and then we were reunited three years later. I did grow up in India where we were separated from, from our mother. And when we reunited as a family, we were in the Middle East. And those years were like paradise, you know, because my family was together. There was no war. You know, everything was going great. And then the Gulf War happened in 1990. And that was the second time I encountered war and confusion. And so we were there as a family during the Gulf War. But as soon as it was done, my parents were so sure they wanted to move somewhere else. And that was to Canada. And, you know. As cold as it is here, it came with a rush of confusion. And um, it had me asking myself the question, you know, why am I here? I don't want to be here. You know, you know what it feels like to go to a new place. And there's mm -hmm. a new school and there's, you know, there's bullies and people don't understand who I am and where I'm coming from. I don't even understand myself. Mm -hmm. And so I was a, I was literally bombarded with probably what was the biggest war uh, I've ever faced. And that was those thoughts, those uh, negative, um, you know, missions that I felt closer to. I felt dark. I felt mm -hmm. like I didn't know who I was. Um, Self-harm seemed to help in the moment because I was so used to being afraid. Mm -hmm. And everything that I ever felt and suppressed and blocked and forgot about as a child after we reunited with the family, it all just came back. And um, it was the biggest war I faced within my mind. Wow. I've done some work with teenage girls and had to, mm -hmm. you know, do some research and understand when it comes to, you know, things like self-harm and them, the way that they cope yeah. with depression and the negative self-talk mm -hmm. and, and the heaviness. And mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of people, whether it be, you know, our generation or older that don't understand 
the pressure of those things. And it's, it's really that the, the inner pain is so heavy that the self harm is almost like an escape from the inner pain. Yeah. And I can't even imagine, you know, what you um, experienced when you were younger. So how did you get through that? Like, tell us the story of how you got to where you are today, you know, making a difference, uh-huh. well-being and mindfulness, like share that story. Uh-huh. You know, um, I think it was in the moments where I felt separated from my body. And I have to say it this way because, you know, as a teenager, when everything rushed at me, I was so confused. There was too much going on within my mind. I couldn't understand my body. I I literally did not know who I was. And um, harming myself was good in the moment. And then after I felt worse. And I became very suicidal. Um, in fact, it became a thing for me. Every week I would try. And every week I would not be successful. And it just got very frustrating that um, I had to still be here. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, as much as I coped by, you know, I, I got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> I would get in tr- into trouble with the law. I would, you know, have to sit in boardrooms with my parents a room full of police officers, you know, yelling at me and telling me what I should have not done. And I'd have to think of my friends that, you know, ran and left me with, you know, it was just too much. And every week it became an obsession for me to try to take myself out. Mm. And um, by the time I was 18, I would say almost 18, I got very tired of trying. I was tired of living and now I was try- tired of trying to die. And um, I just remember sitting on my bed and just feeling hopeless, feeling like I wasn't even good enough at killing myself. I wasn't even able to to end this. And I, I couldn't find why I'm, you know, the question kept yeah. coming to me, why am I here? And um, I think it's in that brokenness that I, don't remember how it happened, but I saw myself as a little girl. It's almost like the little person in me, the little girl that went through the war, you know, that was coping, that was hiding, that was covering and blocking these memories. It's like I saw her and I looked at her and I just broke down and I cried. And this time I wasn't crying because I was upset because I was here. I was crying because I felt like I owed her so much. I made some promises to her. And I remember the moment when my dad said, think about who you want to be when you get older. I thought about that moment and how I said, you know, when I get older, I'm going to be part of, you know, making this better. I'm going to be a part, a part of the solution. And that's who I wanted to be. And I realized that I, thought, you know, what I thought in that moment was this little girl appeared to me and I saw myself outside of my body. And I thought, I owe you so much. Mm -hmm. And it's weird when I think about it now, because after all these years, I realized that little girl, my inner child, me as a child actually saved me. 
And mm-hmm. when I look at myself now as an adult and what I'm doing, you know, it, it was a journey. It wasn't overnight. I battled with those thoughts of seeing myself in my younger self, you know, mm-hmm. and my tears and my brokenness, it, it's almost like it got to a place where I was now thankful for still being here because mm-hmm. I didn't realize how far I had made it, even through those storms. And I faced them by myself because, you know, the generation before us, they didn't talk about things, mm-hmm. um, leave alone even thinking there was an issue. You know, my parents were ministers and they prayed everything away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is not one of those things, you know, you could pray away only. And so it got me, it, it actually put, a strange urgency within me to rise up. And mm-hmm. I think it was in those moments where I chose life that allowed me to see myself outside of a victim. Because mm-hmm. all along, I was looking at the war I faced, how my mother left us, how we had to live in India for three years where I was sexually abused. I was looking at all these things that had happened to me. And that's all I could see. I saw shame and disgrace. I saw dirt. I I didn't see me. And when I saw my little, you know, my little self appear to me, it's like I saw myself in the pureness of who I truly was. And and that's where I began the journey of if I'm going to live, I want to live a full life. And I think my determination, uh, it shifted. Something shifted in my mind. And I thought I wasn't good at even killing myself. I wasn't good at dying. That's for sure. Cause I was still here. Mm-hmm. So what if I put all this energy into living and living my best life? And uh, I think that's the drive that kind of got me uh, moving forward into, to especially even into where I am right now and to, there- to being a wellness coach. <laughs> Was there like an aha moment where that shift, like sometimes, you know, something drastic happens or there's a major emotional shift because of the situation that I guess forces us to change direction with our thoughts. Like, was there a moment in particular that you recall? Yes. Um, though I had several moments, but I think it was a moment where I realized I didn't have to to think the way I was thinking. I didn't have to see myself as a victim. I I never thought of that before. I just thought, you know, even when I went to school in high school, I just thought, well, they'll never get me. They'll never understand me. I have so much. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been abused. I've been verbally abused. I've gone through war. I've gone through some of the worst moments and also having to protect my, my younger brother. So I didn't I saw myself in such a horrible way that, you know, I thought that's how people looked at me too. That's what Mm -hmm. they saw. And I was very timid. I was tall and skinny, but I had no such thing as confidence. You know, that was not a garment I wore. So I think it was when I realized I didn't have to live like a victim. You know, I Mm -hmm. had to make that shift for myself. Because the whole time I kept seeing myself, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I would just see ugly. I would see all the, 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 I would see the journey 
and it would be so Mm -hmm. dark to look at myself. We project our inner securities, you know, outward into the world, like what's happening Mm -hmm. on the inside of us, you know, our outer world is a reflection of that. You know, you're talking about when you used to get in trouble um, with the police Mm -hmm. and getting yelled at for for doing the things that you were doing that, you know, you probably didn't even want to do. But like, there's a a huge gap between what we know and what we actually do. Mm. And it's because our subconscious mind is so powerful, you know, the the feeling Mm -hmm. mind, we don't realize that even if we know better, because Mm -hmm. of our feeling mind and how strong our inner thoughts are and our inner emotions mm-hmm. it yes. affects our actions. Absolutely. Absolutely. I knew everything I was doing as a teenager, I didn't have to do, but it was like self-harm, self-destruction. <laughs> I was going straight towards it. And uh, if you said no, um, I was going to do it just because, you know, not only because I was daring, but also I had nothing to lose. I, I was okay with losing me. Mm-hmm. And now you've transformed into this woman with, you know, four beautiful children. You've been married for, what, 20 plus years. Um, yeah. You know, you're practicing mindfulness and conscious living. Yeah. So it's it, it's a complete shift from where you were and totally understand the amount of work that would have to go into that, the amount of inner work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm certain as we all are, you know, you're still on that that journey. So yeah. what are some ways that people, you know, can, can make some conscious choices that they don't go back into those, that captivity phase? Yes, exactly. It, it, it's the choice to, to not be a captive, you know, not to be, mm-hmm. to not to be held captive to your own thoughts of yourself and who you used to be, or, you know, um, I think, it was when I decided to challenge my intelligence when it came to my patterns and my thoughts, you know, questioning things. Why do I do this? Uh, why mm-hmm. are we not allowed to do this? You know, um, we grow up with um, immigrant parents and parents from you know other parts of the world, and they say a lot of things, and we are not mm-hmm. allowed to question them. <laughs> not mm-hmm. allowed. And uh, we should be questioning. And I think that's the part when, you know, you're conscious because you want to know, you know, what, what is this about? Like, why do we not, why do we not do this? You know, what can I change about my programming? And um, being conscious and living consciously requires us to constantly be in challenge of our programming and our thought patterns. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what we knew last year, what we did last year, even years ago, uh, last month might not be the same thing that's necessary or required in the following months to come. So we we get stuck in these routines and in, you know, like you said, society has a way of saying this is how it should look. Mm-hmm. This is what you're called, you know, this is what it's supposed to be. And that's where the problem is because we get stuck in these routines and then when change happens that we don't plan on, we're a mess. I get thrown off really big. And so I don't like that feeling. And I understand change is always going to be there. But I want to not only, not that I want to be in control, but I want to be a part of my choices. Not that these things are just happening to me. So I start my day with prayer and meditation. And that has, you know, been such a huge way of starting my day in silence. 
focusing on the visualization of of the meditation. Like I Mm -hmm. said, you know, when my father asked me what I wanted to be, I closed my eyes. I imagined. I saw myself. I saw this woman who I am today. And Mm -hmm. that was powerful for me because it gave me something to look forward to and also visualize where it is I want to be. So starting my day with meditation, visualizing in my meditation and also focusing on what it is I want. That is a very conscious way to start the day. Um, Like you said, I have four kids and I do this so they can do that, you know, and learn and build upon it too, because we are not going to be victims of these circumstances. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I'm an ambitious woman, but I'm ambitiously fierce when it comes to not being the victim. And um, so starting the day with meditation and prayer and really focusing on how mindful I can, you know, prepare myself in my day helps me be conscious with the choices I make throughout the day. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you spoke to, you know, growing up with immigrant parents and, you know, a lot of the guests that have come on are also, you know, first generation, whether it be Canadian or American. And we, we all seem to have this similarity with, I'm going to say old school parenting, the old school parents, their way of parenting was Mm. more about control and fear. And, you know, they did the best they could with what they had, you know, with what they knew. But now that we have all this information on, you know, being able to support our kids through trauma to be, you know, have compassionate parenting, um, you know, be more understanding, uh, empathetic, patient, um, you know, a, a lot of the, the qualities that yeah. old school parenting didn't have. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, mm. you know, as a mom of four, how do you think, yeah. well, I guess, how do you, how do you parent differently? I decided, you know, of course I have two older ones. I have two teenagers and I have two younger people and they're 10 and eight. And the first two, you know how it is, the trial children. So, you know, I'm still, Go, I was still going through a lot of my traumas and trying to understand my healing process. So I definitely was going down the wrong way. But awareness is so powerful, you know, and that's a huge part of being conscious when you're aware, like you hear yourself. I don't think our parents heard themselves right. in a lot of the things <laughs> they said to us, right? Um, they probably even forgot what they said to us. And if we bring it up now, they may never remember it. But Mm -hmm. one of the huge parts of um, how I've decided to parent is to hear myself, you know, to make sure that I'm not comparing because that Mm -hmm. that's easy place to be when you have four and, you know, or multiple children, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, your brother was doing this or, you know, why don't, you know, and I don't want to do that. So I'm very conscious Mm -hmm. to the awareness and also, Understanding that the people and the environment that we are in affects each person differently. So mm-hmm. what might work for my um, teenage son may not work for my teenage daughter. It's almost like mm-hmm. I've had to, my children have had to be in some way my projects because I have to learn who they are. I can see, mm-hmm. you know, their triggers and um, it's my, it's my job to understand them differently from each other. So I give 
each child, you know, what they deserve or, or even show them that, you know, you may respond emotionally different than your mm-hmm. brother. And that's okay. You know, give him the space. My eight-year-old is like, she's not only is she the boss in the house, but she's very chaotic. Just with the response <laughs> with everything. It's not even drama anymore. It's just chaos. And so I tried to explain to the older kids, you know, when you're trying to say something to her, she cannot hear you because all she has inside of her is chaos. You have to allow mm-hmm. her to get to a place where she's calm. And she is, mm-hmm. you know, in a space where she can understand. And that is something I wish I received, you know, uh, as a child. Yeah. Because, it's, yeah. you know, when there's so much chaos within you, um, someone yelling or giving you instructions, it's just not coming through. So right. I literally try so to do the opposite. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So I try to do this differently. And I'm, I just try to be aware. Uh, I, I, I did study my mom's patterns and how she raises and some of the things you know she has apologized for um in her age now and some of the things she never she just doesn't see it a lot of Mm -hmm. fear driven like you said and um and you know I may never be able to get that apology to be honest and that's okay as long as Mm -hmm. I allow myself to not repeat these cycles that's what's important to me yeah, you know, you spoke to awareness, and I think that that is key. I'm going to say a few years ago, like the common phrase was woke, but it's really just about being aware. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, awareness yeah. in awareness in ourselves, awareness in our um, parents, awareness in our children. And when yeah. you take a step back and mm-hmm. look at situations and people and try to come from a place of understanding, then it's much easier to interact with them. It's when you're, you know, aware of yourself, much easier to give yourself grace. Um, So I think awareness is a a big, big piece. And you being aware of, you know, your parents' patterns and how you used to parent versus how you parent now is Mm -hmm. very important because you can see the differences um, so that you can do better. Because when we know better, we do better, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so true. Like, how has being a mother changed you? It, it has changed me in so many ways. But I think the biggest thing of all is it has allowed me to have this constant mirror in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, look at yourself. You know, remember how I said, you know, it was hard to look at myself. Um, growing up, I didn't see myself with all the confidence and beauty and, and, you know, self-talk wasn't a thing for me. Uh, It is very important to me now with my affirmations and all of that. And I still have to consciously take myself to a mirror. But when you have children, they're literally constantly (laughs) the mirror and their reflection of me, I see myself. (laughs) It's almost like I get another chance through my children. It has changed me Mm -hmm. because it's allowed me to live a full life in who I am and who I was designed to be, but also to see myself outside of me. Um, You know, I've always said this, that it's not that my children are my why. I am my why. But I now also get the opportunity to see the reflection of myself and to make 
a better choice, to make a different choice, to give them the information, mm-hmm. you know. It's so powerful for me to be able to, you know, talk to my daughter and say, I understand this time of the month, it's, you know, it's no, it's no good. <laughs> I, I get it. You want to, you know, you want to light something on fire. You, I, I understand the rage. I get it. Mm-hmm. But also, this is also what's happening within you, you know. This is a divine moment where this powerful thing is rising up within you in your womanhood in in this journey so i get to say and have conversations with my children that i never had so it mm-hmm. changed me because i'm not only speaking to my children when i speak to them i'm i'm speaking i'm reviving me i'm reviving myself and preparing myself for the next dimension the next phase of who i'm going to be so mm-hmm. it's powerful to have these people around me and, you know, they're, <laughs> they're like from me. So I get to see these, I get to see myself in different ways. Right. I totally agree with you. Like, you know, I've, I have three kids and when you said that they're like a constant mirror, I, <laughs> I, I just had to hold my head because, you know, just like you were, you know, in the beginning mm-hmm. when you're you're younger, you have, you know, the older children, you parented them yeah. a little bit different because you didn't know yeah. any better. And then as you evolve and you become more aware, mm-hmm. you notice. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed yeah. as I've become more aware of myself and more understanding with my children is like mm-hmm. they are amplified <laughs> mirrors yeah. of different yeah. parts of me. And each mm. one of them has an amplified um, character trait within me. So when I want to get frustrated with them, it's a lesson for me to take a step back and say, this is you amplified. Right. Oh, it's so powerful. Like who needs marble, right? Like we're here, like breathing species that are like ourselves, but on times like a million, uh, of Mm -hmm. who we were, who we are. So it's, it's it's powerful when you really think about it, and it's also very humbling. Right? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let Absolutely. me calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, what would you say is your superpower? My superpower is the ability to be calm in the chaos. Mm. Um, that's not something I've had the capacity for in the past, especially when I think of myself as a teenager, physical wars and mental wars, uh, I was the chaos. And I did, Mm. I went out of my way to be the chaos in relationships and, you know, in in every way. And um, to now be calm, to understand um, the awareness of my capacity Mm -hmm. and the power that it it has is very powerful for me and very um it's a reminder that I've come a long way because it is mm-hmm. not you know I I was the girl that was ready to fight and now I just want to love everyone <laughs> I have my, don't get me wrong I have my moments where you know a thought will come in and like you know fight me <laughs> but now it's like uh, I find it funny you know it's it's humorous to me and I think um in the calmness, I've learned how to find the joy in life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, I really am a keeper of my peace, you know, at all mm-hmm. costs. Uh, I won't let anyone rob it. There there are people who try. And mm-hmm. um, I realize 
as upset as I can get or as off as it takes me, I still have to find a way to bring myself back. Right. So it's the ability to be calm in the chaos. I love, you know, when you spoke to the difference um, of, you know, who you used to be, the old version of you versus the present version. Because I find the more that we do the inner work, the more that we focus on healing, we can see the difference of our old self that that had to die in order for us to become Mm -hmm. our present self. So, you know, when you talked about the old you was more like a challenger, like fight me. And the present version of you is like, let me love you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I totally get it because I can do the same in myself where, you know, the old version Mm. of me, I was ready for the challenge. My Mm. tongue was sharp. I was ready for you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The present version of me values my peace and, you know, prioritizes freedom and love and connection. So it's like, mm, instead of me looking at, um, I guess, projecting my inner hurt, it's now how can I prioritize peace? How can I be an example of love um, to this person who may not have (laughs) received it elsewhere? Mm -hmm. Exactly. No cop back here. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So with the pandemic, I know that for a lot of people, it either forced them to pause, forced them to pivot. um, And for some people, it accelerated what they were already doing. So I would love to know, like, what has your journey been like since the pandemic? How has it affected how you serve? It's definitely amplified the reason I'm here. And um, I, I didn't see that, you know, the first month. <laughs> I didn't see that the second month. Uh, I was trying to understand what the, the run with the toilet paper was also. Um, <laughs> I was like, what does this really do to you? But at the same time, I was also low-key panicking because mm-hmm. I've been here before, you know, with not so much the Ugandan Civil War, but during the Gulf War, uh, we had to stock up. We shopped you know, and we loaded up our houses. We had to get gas masks. Uh, We heard missiles go over. So we were, we were in lockdown. Not, I mean, they didn't call it that, but we were in our house for months. And Mm -hmm. so that kind of rushed back at me and the fear hit me, you know, oh no, this is happening again. What is going on in my lifetime, you know? And then I realized um, I get a second chance to do this differently for my children. The fears they have were, you know, what everyone was fearing. And I mm-hmm. get to tell them that maybe this is going to be different. Maybe this is good for us, you know, within our house. So mm-hmm. I started to, you know, not that I didn't feel the fear and I didn't feel everything that was happening because I am an empath. So I felt everything. I felt all mm-hmm. the energy. But I decided to ask myself, you know, what is it that you wanted to do? You've been setting yourself up for, you know, online in that in that way. So why wouldn't you take the time? Like I do a lot of self-talk, you know, a lot of good and bad. I, I challenge myself now. And so mm-hmm. for me, um, I decided to run with it. I thought the world has never paused before. Mm-hmm. You know, this is different. We're all together. We're in the house. I have to now deal with my children's emotions. I have to deal with their 
their wellness, you know. At the same time, I have this ability that I've been waiting to use. I've been, you know, it's like this power in my hand. And um, this is an opportunity to do that. And so I started, I was very nervous. Um, you know, being in front of an audience is my energy. I get my energy from my audience. So mm. I love being on stage. I love having a microphone in my hand. I love feeling people's joy and laughter. You know, I love them looking at me <laughs> on stage. And we have this interaction that's so powerful. But now we have a computer screen. And mm. it. I knew I had to, la- to launch my master classes, but I was nervous. Because it's like, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. How is this going to happen? How are they going to feel my soul? Mm-hmm. How are they going to feel? You know, and uh, I w- it was nerve wracking for me, and uh, it took me a cl- it took me months before I actually did it. And as soon as I decided to take that leap, so it did challenge me, uh, but it also amplified what was in- within me and uh, gave me the opportunity to, you know, see that it's not about always physically being somewhere because you know even with that the social anxiety was getting to me so I had a lot to work through mm-hmm. <laughs> when it came to just being outside but I learned that you know when you have a message when you have something that has been deposited an assignment that has been deposited into your soul your spirit if you hold on to it it will hurt you mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to let it out and so um, as hard as it was to do that, to do the first master class, you know, people signed up, people were coming. But, you know, I was, uh, it was very different doing events online, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I, I just took the challenge. I took the challenge and I saw how it had me growing in a different way, in a different space. So it did propel what I already do. But it also challenged me, uh, and it still challenges me. So I'm uh, liking the feeling of constantly growing and evolving, but also realizing that it'll only come with the challenge, you know. And yeah. Loki, I kind of like being challenged. So <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it, but it's like I'm scared. But I feel like when I'm afraid of doing something and I do it, I not only am I am I proud of myself, but I know I released what was within me and that's yes. a better feeling for me. Yes. I love that. You know, naturally we're, we're all, I'm going to say uncomfortable with change. You know, some of us will admit to the fear. Some of us may not, um, but it's all a part of the change. All change is uncomfortable at first, but you know, once you work your way through it, it's beautiful in mm-hmm. the end. Once you, you know, figure it out, that's where the rewards mm-hmm. are. So I, I love that you were able to do that. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they could stay connected with you online to learn more from you and about you. Absolutely. You, you know, I try to keep it really simple across the board. So Coach Kamshika on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on all the social media platforms. And I also have my website, The Conscious Warriors. I I'm the founder of The Conscious Warriors, and that is a wellness platform that people can, you know, go to um, and just pick and choose what they need for their own wellness toolbox. And um, you can contact me on that website and or on social media. I keep my, you know, pages um, open in that way. And uh, when my capacity is full, it may take me some time to get back, but <laughs> I will eventually get back. But um, Coach K 
Kemshika is how to find me. Just uh, type or type in Kemshika in Google and it'll bring you somewhere. Awesome. Well, I will definitely have the links to your website and your social media in the detailed section of the episode so they can connect with you directly. They won't have to search too far. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. So the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. I ask a couple mm-hmm. of quick reflection questions and you share, um, you know, just some inspiration from your walk. It's kind of like a rapid fire. So, you know, if you can keep your answers to either one word, one sentence, sometimes okay. they may ask you to unpack because I don't like rules. Mm. <laughs> I love it. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. When and where are you the happiest? On a plane. Mm. What's the worst advice you've ever received? Fake it till you make it. Mm. What's the best advice you've ever received? Just be yourself. What failure has taught you the most about life? Like, do you have a favorite failure? Falling. Literally falling in my heels. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, say more. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this, this this is always a thing. Even as a child, you know, I was always teased because I didn't have good balance and so on. So as I got older, I love my heels. I walk good in my heels. I look good in my heels. But there are moments where God will just be like, it's time to humble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll drop and I have no idea. But I remember I had an event to go to. I was passing by the Heart Rock, Rock Cafe in Toronto where it used to be, Young and Dundas. And I had these stilettos. They were so beautiful. And I don't know what happened, but I think it got stuck in a crack. And I literally just fell face to the ground. <laughs> And uh, everyone jumped over the patio at the Hard Rock Cafe to come and help me, but it was I was already down. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if I should maybe just play dead, wait till the ambulance came, or just be like, oh, I'm okay, you know, and it happened too fast. I got up, um, my shoe was broken, so I'm limping. And uh, my girlfriend, you know, she had an extra sho- a pair of shoes, so she brought me the shoes. I went inside to the event and um, I was actually getting an award. I went up there. I got my award. I did it so well. And at the end, I had this guy come up to me and say, are you okay? I saw you fall from the window. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to live with me. So, um, yeah, so falling, it happens. You know, I'm a warrior, so it's okay. I've embraced mm-hmm. falling as a failure because even when you're down, you get the opportunity to eventually get up. Mm. <laughs> Love that metaphor. Love it. Thank uh, you. Okay. So what's something that most people value that you don't? Brand names. All right. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Touched by a Diva by, oh, I can't remember her name. That was the very first book I read that was like, whoa, I could be this woman. It was actually a book that was, it was almost about the modern day Proverbs 31 woman. And last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? Spoil themselves. Mm. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Kendrika, for... Not only sharing your story, but your all of your gems with us. Uh, like I said, it's been a long time coming. I'm grateful we were able to have the opportunity to have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you do and for who you are. And 
it's your resilience that has really motivated and empowered so many women to know that they can move forward and they could do what they do. And, um, you know, life gets busy, things happen. And I'm just Mm -hmm. glad that we had this divine moment and Mm -hmm. we were able to do this. And I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. I truly appreciate you. And to all of you legacy leavers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. And don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. And if you could think of three women that would receive value from hearing Kemshuka's story, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag her at Coach Kamshuka, you can tag myself at the real McKinney Smith and let us know what resonated with you. And continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>